On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about preaching. Yeah, we want to talk about not just preaching, but we want to talk about good preaching. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody has an opinion about the kind of preaching they like, the kind of the, the maybe specific preachers they like. And, and we want to talk about what makes good preaching, but we really want to analyze it from a biblical point of view. Okay, we're starting on that important discussion right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 4th, 2022. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Hey, Jacob. Great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. Kyle Barnes is behind the controls. Welcome, Kyle. It's good to be here. And a special guest tonight, uh, not a stranger. Uh, my father-in-law, Nick Law, is here. Hello, Nick. Yeah, glad to be with you all tonight. Glad that you're here. And we're glad you're listening on the other end of the line tonight, and we want you to participate at uh, 931-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or send us a chat to the bottom of your video feed tonight. Yeah, we we, uh, we really look forward to audience participation. We think our program is better when we get it. So join us, especially in the chat room. The chat room has been kind of quiet in recent weeks. Let's get that thing heated up tonight. I see Brian in California and Dwight and Michelle in Iowa. Uh, Grant and Janie are in Franklin, Tennessee, and we need more we need more participants in the chat room. So let's get them going. All right, tonight on the program. So tonight on the program, we want to talk about preaching, but not just preaching. We want to talk about what makes good preaching. Now, I think there are a lot of worldly standards about what people regard as good preaching. For instance, I think if you took a poll, there'd probably be a huge number of people who would rate someone like Joel Olstein as a good preacher. Uh, we kind of want to test that hypothesis against what the Bible says. How would he or others like him stack up? against truly great preaching as defined in the New Testament. That's an important topic for us to consider tonight. And there are a lot of folks who say, oh, no, I wouldn't think Joel Osteen is a good preacher. But they're willing to accept other things that preachers who may be a little bit closer to the truth would say just because, well, they're... They're, good they're not speakers. as far out as Joel Olstein. Man, they're good speakers. Yeah, good speakers. They have good personality. And, good, yeah. good stage presence. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Here's the questions I sent out earlier today to our update list. If you're not getting our update, get on our list. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We always send these out uh, about uh, midday on Thursday. Try to get them out at 11 o'clock Central Time on Tuesday or on Thursdays, rather. On Thursdays, you'll get this update if you're on our list. Number one, these are the questions I ask. Number one, what are some of the things that do not constitute really good preaching number two what are the characteristics of truly good preaching according to the bible number three using the apostle paul as example what do you see in his preaching that made him a really great preacher number four in regards to actual physical presentation of a sermon what are things a preacher should do to make his message more effective and what are the things a preacher should avoid that detract from his message and then finally, I, I, I'm really interested to get some input on this, specifically about the use of visual aids, what works and what doesn't. Okay. All right. Let's dive into that. Let's talk about some of the things that do not constitute really great preaching, but that might be admired by men. Now, this is the danger, Jacob, because some some people will, some preachers will how would we say it? Play to their audience, you know, tell them what they want to hear, uh, entertain them in such a fashion that they they really like it. You know, you know, we, we like to be entertained. You know, uh, you, you like to hear a, a funny comedian telling a joke. Uh, uh, you might like to hear a really good singer singing a song. You know, there there's a, a certain appreciation for things that entertain us. And so when it comes to preaching, 
I think one of the things that we have to be careful about is judging the preaching by the entertainment value. That's that's not uh, the the standard that is set for great preaching. Uh, that seems to be what a lot of folks look for when a preacher is. Oh boy, he really can keep you keep you your attention. Yeah. Or he really he it really tells great stories. He he really he, he really is a, is a good guy to listen to. Yeah. I knew one time, uh, uh, it was right here at College View years ago, uh, a, a preacher visited, and he was very animated in, in the pulpit. I mean, he was rarely behind the actual pulpit stand. He was moving back and forth and up and down, and he was all around. And one of the elderly ladies said to me, I really like that. I liked, I liked the way he moved around. Well, that didn't have anything at all to do with his preaching, you know, uh, how how he paced and, and uh uh, circled around on the pulpit stage it wasn't wasn't that didn't constitute good preaching. I would argue that sometimes preachers want to maybe make a show of of their knowledge. You know, uh, they want to impress people that they're very knowledgeable. I heard one preacher he he uh, a guy was commending him because he said he's an expert in Greek and Hebrew. He's got degrees in Greek and Hebrew. Well, that's fine. I think there's great value in studying the original languages of the Bible. <clears throat> but made me wonder how. First of all, how did how did this church member know what that guy's knowledge base was in in the Greek and Hebrew, and why is that being presented as what makes his preaching good? So if he's knowledgeable in the Greek and Hebrew, that's a wonderful thing. And and uh, I admire people who are so. But I don't think that to showcase that sort of ability is necessarily a good thing in preaching. That wasn't Paul's uh, MO. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, he said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul wasn't in the business of being flashy with what he knew. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't, that wasn't his goal to impress people in his knowledge. And by his estimation, and I assume the Holy Spirit agreed about that because it's in the inspired word, Paul wasn't a great orator. He didn't present himself as a great orator, not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said that's not what, that's, that's not the way he came. In fact, it almost seems that Paul's presence his stage presence was one that could have been off-putting yeah. uh, he indicates that maybe some could be turned away by his physical appearance maybe his physical appearance you know there's always been a great controversy about what was paul's thorn in the flesh and i don't think that's an answerable question i don't think you'll ever be answered in this lifetime but there's a basis for some reasonable speculation and i i, I if i if i had to guess I would guess that it was something to do with his eyes, uh, that, that somehow his eyesight was affected. But, you know, sometimes you are around people and maybe their eyes are, you know, it's a little hard to look them in the face because their eyes are not uh, looking straight at you or something else about their eyes are a, a little different than normal. And it may have been that was the way with Paul, but that didn't didn't keep him from being a really great preacher. Yeah. All right. Uh uh, I tell you another thing that doesn't make a great preacher is how he dresses, you know, flashy dresser. So here's a preacher who he dresses to the nines, as they say. He just, I mean, he is he is all just, you know, decked out in in expensive clothes. That doesn't that doesn't say what his preaching is like. Uh, there was a preacher here in Middle Tennessee that was well known. I won't name his name, but probably anybody listening in Middle Tennessee probably guess who I'm talking about. He was very known for his very flashy clothing. He he, I, I remember because I was a young preacher. When, when, only times I was around him, and uh, he had his the, he had he didn't wear regular shirts like most of us wear with button down sleeves. He had French cuffs. Monogrammed, fancy cufflinks. He always wore a stick pin right at the top of his of his tie. He always had what do they call those things that you stick in your pocket? The little handkerchief. There's a name for that. I don't know. I don't know. I've never had one. <laughs> There's a little handkerchief that you stick in your pocket, but it's not for blowing your nose. Uh, 
Uh, and he dressed that way. I mean, he was he was very careful to always dress that way, and he was known for that. But that that was not the characteristic which made him a great preacher. That, that wouldn't be the standard to judge by. Okay. Uh, and, and then I would add to my list too: a, a person is not a great preacher just because he can assemble a, a significant personal following. And some preachers do that. You know, some preachers have just Huge crowds of people who rush to hear him preach. And and I'm not just talking about big-name denominational preachers like Joel Olstein or Kenneth Copeland or any any of those big-name preachers. But but even uh, among uh, churches of Christ, there are some preachers who people will drive long distances. If they're holding a gospel meeting, for instance, in, in an area, there will, there will be people who drive two, three hours to hear a certain preacher preach who who might not be willing to walk across the street to hear someone else preach. And so, but that's not what makes great preaching. Just because a person can attract a big crowd and has a, has a significant personal following does not make him a great preacher or his preaching great preaching. All right. Um, I'll tell you something else that doesn't make a preacher a great preacher, and that is if everyone leaves feeling good. At, at least not always. Not not always. That's right. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 30, beginning of verse 9, this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us the right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Yeah. They wanted to hear smooth things. They wanted to hear things that made them feel good. Yeah. They didn't want to hear the things that said God is very angry with the way you're living, and if you don't straighten up, you're going to be punished. They didn't want to hear that. They said, speak to us smooth things. Things make us feel comfortable and good. Yeah. And there's a lot of preachers that are in the business of peddling that when they ought to be peddling things that are now, uncomfortable. I think we've got to give a little bit of caveat on that, Jacob. I mean, when you do good, you should feel good. Yeah, right. When you do bad, you should feel bad. That right. seems like a pretty common sense principle. And, and it's not bad to preach lessons uh, that make us feel good about God's love for us and about uh, uh, and about how he eternally planned for our salvation, how that Jesus sacrificially died to provide an atoning sacrifice. Uh, you know, th- there are things that, we can feel good about, and the scripture even tells us in passages like Philippians 4, verse 6, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There, there are joyful things about being a Christian, and we, and, and we should touch on those themes in our preaching, but that can't be the exclusive nature of our preaching. And that's what some preachers intend to do. You know, I've even heard preachers say, well, I'll let others deal with negative things. I just want to focus on positive things. No. Well, if you're doing that, you're not. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. You're not preaching the whole counsel of God if you're just talking about the positive things. That won't get the job done, will it, Nick? No. We if we we would not want to preach above the education of those that we're trying to get their them to understand the yeah. uh, message of the gospel. You know, you're preaching the gospel. You want to make sure the people understand. So yeah. you got people of various backgrounds and ages and things of that nature. And you want you want the accountable people to understand what is being said. So that's another. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it great preaching if it's so far over our head that we can't grasp it. Yeah, bro, one brother used to say down in Alabama where we were that said, "I'm going to get this down here tonight where the calves can get it and the cows ought to do all right." I understood <laughs> that kind of yeah, talk. That's right. You know, I heard I heard about a fellow who went to hear preaching, Nick, uh, and the next day his friend asked him, "Well, what did the preacher preach about?" And he said. I don't know. He didn't say. <laughs> that, that's a pretty bad commentary on somebody's preaching. If if you don't get your message across, if it if it's not if you're not presenting it in such a way as you say that average folks can grasp it and and get the point and make the application, it's not good preaching. Well, the chat room is hot tonight. Okay, good. David David said preaching is not a performance. To that, Dwight and Michelle said, Amen. Preaching is for the building up of the church, Ephesians 4, verse 12. Razorhog in the chat room says, If a man in the pulpit does not use the scripture abundantly, he's not doing what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, preach the word. Exactly. Dwight and Michelle said Noah preached for years and only eight were saved. Not that Noah wasn't a good preacher, but people were not good hearers. Right. 
And Brian in California says it was Peter's words that cut to the heart at Pentecost. Appearance and demeanor are not mentioned, but I happened to see a video posting just this week of a minister a couple hours away preaching in ripped jeans and untucked, untucked shirt, completely indecent and bordering on being profane, I consider. All right. I'd have to agree with you about that, Brian. I uh, thought he'd seen a video of Peter's sermon on Pentecost. <laughs> maybe. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so there's a number of things that, and again, I think this is the point we want to emphasize. There are things that people sometimes desire in preaching that don't constitute good preaching. Uh, and, and and so we've got to be kind of on uh, on guard against using those kind of things as our standard of judgment. Quickly before the break, Jim in Kentucky says that uh, some things that do not constitute good preaching, telling lots of jokes, not being prepared, not using or referencing Scripture. Thank you for that, Jim. I think you're right, Jim. And Dwight and Michelle in their email tonight said a lack of Bible content uh Preaching opinion, not teaching the whole counsel of God, sugarcoating sin are all things that lead to poor preaching. Paul told Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. He also told Timothy the things which he had heard from him to entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay, good. Hey, the the idea of opinions is one that has to be uh, right up there on top of the list too. You know, we've we've talked about a lot of things. We haven't mentioned an opinion yet, and that's one of the things that. Preachers need to be on guard against. It's very easy to use the the pulpit as a place to get your opinion across. And and that is not. And so our question is, what does not constitute good, constitute good preaching? It's it's not good preaching if the preacher's just given his personal think so. Even if I happen to agree with his personal think so. So maybe some guy gets in a pulpit and he's very very political and he preaches a, he preaches a political message. Well, I happen to agree. With his political point of view, that doesn't mean it's good preaching. Yeah. It might be good at a political rally, but it's not the kind of preaching we need in the pulpit. All right. Let's get a break, and when we get back, let's get, why don't we start talking about what makes good preaching? That's yeah. what this let's, is about, isn't it? Yeah, let's All talk right. about what, what is involved in good preaching. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. After the Apostle Paul asked three times to remove his thorn in the flesh, God answered, His grace was sufficient for him. Would you be satisfied knowing that? God's power is made perfect in weakness. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Your strength is seen in what you stand for, your weakness in what you fall for. If you hold your religion lightly, you are sure to let it slip. He who is born of God should grow to resemble his father. No man ever regretted Christianity on his deathbed. The chains of habit are generally too small to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program tonight talking about good preaching. What makes good preaching? We're talking about what doesn't make good preaching, and we need to be grounded on that fact. Now let's get into what makes good preaching. I'm going to start it out, Jacob, with something I think we should all agree about, is if it's going to be good preaching, it's got to be Bible-centered. Mm-hmm. If we just said a minute ago, it should not be about my opinion, your opinion, somebody else's opinion. Somebody said opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. Uh, opinion doesn't establish anything as being true. And so when we preach, if our preaching is going to come anywhere close to being good preaching, we got to be able to establish that what we're saying is based upon what the Bible teaches. It's got to be Bible. It's got to be Bible centered. Uh, Someone already mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Uh, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And, and he says, watch in all things, verse 5, uh, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist. And so uh, the work of an evangelist is to preach the word. And if he's not, if he's, 
you can't be preaching the word if you're not making reference to it. It's it's sadly becoming more and more common. And I hear I hear people reporting this more often. You go to hear a, a preacher, and he maybe makes passing reference to one or two verses of scripture in a 45 minute long sermon. That's not enough. I I, I mean I'm not I'm not the, the the scripture number police here. But I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take my stand on saying if you mention, just barely mention two scriptures in a 45 minute talk, that's not enough by, by any estimation. Right, right. Okay. All right. So it's got to be Bible based and needs to have lots of it. Yeah. Uh, of course, the reason being is what was, what Paul stated in the verses just before that. We just read from, Second Timothy chapter four, right at the end of Second Timothy chapter three, Paul said, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." The Scripture is what's sufficient for all those necessary things. Not my opinion, not my think so. And and again, if I'm preaching for forty five minutes and I only mention the Scripture twice, then obviously what I'm filling my time with is an awful lot of my own opinion. Yeah. And, it's, and that doesn't, my opinion doesn't do the things that scriptures do. Well, we need preachers who are sharing the same attitude Paul had about the gospel of Christ in Romans 1, verse 16, uh, Nick. That's that it is the power of God unto salvation. It seems like sometimes it's almost like we're embarrassed about the, the scriptures and what they teach. And we're, instead of not being ashamed uh, like Paul was. Yeah, if, if you read a medley of phrases in the book of Acts, You'll see uh, where those that were scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word. Or Philip was preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So these are specific things they're preaching. And that's over and over and over of preaching the word, preaching the Lord Jesus, and, and uh, preaching the kingdom of God. Those are some of the things that we exactly need to right. make sure that we're preaching. Yep. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, so... It's got to be Bible-based, and it's got, and what we say about the Scripture has to harmonize with the Scripture. Absolutely. Uh, in Galatians chapter one, verse six, Paul said, "I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you to into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ." And so it's possible that, so you could. Maybe what we're talking about here is twisting or perverting the things that the Scripture said. So I need to make reference to the Scripture, but I've got to make sure that I'm accurately handling the Scriptures. Uh, uh, how did Paul say it in in Second uh, Timothy uh, 2.15? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I think newer versions said handling accurately the word of truth so a scriptures need to our, our preaching needs to include scripture but i tell you there's some people that we could we could cite innumerable references to preachers who use scripture but then twist it to say something that the scripture doesn't say or uh, yeah they take a verse and they just preach from one verse and that verse could be taken the way that they're preaching it but when you take it that way, it forces a contradiction with other verses. Yeah. And that's so common in the denominational world. And that's how you get into the crazy doctrines that are prevalent in the world today. Joel Osteen is using Scripture in his sermons. But he's using them in such a way that does not harmonize with the rest of the Bible. And that's the problem. Not that he's not using Scripture. He's not using Scripture the right way. And that can be a problem for any preacher. Exactly right. Uh I was looking for a verse that I'm not finding it. Where does it say about Jesus that the common people heard him gladly? I think you were referencing that just a minute ago, weren't you, Nick, or something along what, those lines? What is that? What is that verse? The common people. I think it, the King James uses that phrase. The common people heard him gladly. Does that look does that look familiar? It is Matthew chapter um, twelve thirty seven. Matthew twelve thirty seven. Mark, Mark twelve thirty seven. Mark twelve thirty seven. Twelve thirty seven. And the common people heard him gladly. It says Mark twelve three. I had that, I had it open to that. I wasn't even looking at that verse right. So uh, again, it, it, and this goes to what Nick was saying earlier. It can't be over the people's head. 
know, Jesus was the master teacher. And by the way, Jesus had more knowledge and more complete and thorough knowledge than any preacher has ever had. He was he was expert in all languages. Uh, he he was he was the most skilled uh, preacher that could ever exist. And and yet, notice what it says about him: the the common people heard him gladly. He yeah. could get it down a level that they could receive. All right. Um, that's uh, what David is saying in the chat room. He says, how about interpreting or restating Scripture? Good preaching so, helps to interpret Scripture. So interpreting or restating Scripture, and I really think that is what we're doing when we're preaching primarily. But again, it's got to be handled aright. It has to be handled accurately. Uh, I, I remember... Uh, studying several years ago with a couple of young Baptist preachers and we were talking about baptism and, and uh, I read to him Mark sixteen sixteen, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Mm-hmm. And one of those, one of those guys said, well, yeah, that's what it says, but that's not what it means. <laughs> well, what does, I mean, uh, his explanation of that would obviously be something different than what it says. So I, I think w- we use scripture and we make application of the scripture. And so, in, in a sense, we are interpreting or restating or showing how it works. But it's got, we got to be, we got to be handling it right. And Dwight mentions that in the chat room, rightly handling the word of truth. And what was the, the, the preacher that, that he, he preached and gave the understanding? I'm looking for that, that, uh. Oh, it was Ezra, wasn't it? Wasn't something that, like wasn't that. It, I, think, that I thought Ezra. it was Ezra. I'm not finding it there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the idea of, of, Nick of of helping helping the audience to understand the meaning of the scripture. Yeah, and and when we, even when we're dealing with people that would disagree with us, you know, passages like Colossians four six says, "Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt." How we go, and, and that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Not only do we have to give a defense or an answer for the points that we make, but we have to speak that truth in love, and. Uh, not be retaliatory, I guess, mm-hmm. or overly aggressive towards yes, people. Absolutely. Uh, Dwight, Dwight and Michelle say say we have to rightly handle the word, and Brian says yes. Rightly dividing necessitates proper context and content. That's right. Exactly right. All right. If I had time, I'd find that verse, but I can't find it. I thought the that's for sure. That's what it, the phrase that I just can't find it. But gave yeah. it gave the gave the meaning gave the sense. Gave is it gave the sense? Does it say gave the sense? Look that up. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Nehemiah eight verse eight. So they read yeah. the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and yeah. caused them yeah. to understand the reading. That's yeah. that's yeah. what uh, that David's getting at there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It caused them to understand the reading. Yeah, yeah. good. Exactly. All right. Here's here's what I think is a huge necessary point, Jacob. You've got to cover all the necessary information. When when Paul was talking to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, uh, in Acts 20, he said, verse 26, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And that goes to what we were saying earlier. You know, some, some want to just deal with positive things. They don't want to deal with any negative thing. That's not the whole case. You're not preaching the whole counsel of God if you do that. Good preaching necessarily involves the whole counsel of God, everything. That's right. If I saw you about to uh, stick your hand into a uh, into a in the path meat of grinder, danger. yeah, meat grinder. I, I and I just well, I'm not going to say anything because he might get he might get upset if I corrected him. Yeah, I would be uh, I would be responsible for your your injury there. Same thing spiritually, and, and preachers are seeing error in the audience and they're not addressing it. Yeah. And yeah. so they're they're sharing they share in the condemnation there. Yeah, and Dwight mentions that in the chat room. Not teaching the whole counsel of God is not handling the word properly. I think you're right, Dwight. You uh, and then finally, we just, we need to take a break. But I would say good preaching the has to has to achieve its intended purpose of teaching people what to do to be right with God. You know. Uh, it, it, it might be a, an interesting talk. You know, a guy might give an interesting talk. He might be a really good speaker. 
But if it doesn't pertain to spiritual matters that help me live my life in a manner that pleases God and affects my eternal salvation, it's not good preaching. I mean, uh, there's some guys who who, are, who could really tell you about uh, uh, really excellent speakers who could tell you all about how to bi- rebuild a car engine. That's, that's obviously it's not good preaching. It's not even it's not even pertinent to the subject that's needed. But and that's an extreme example. But I think there are some preachers who are dealing with topics that are not are not essential that are that 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 miss the point of what preaching ought to do. True. Or if it's a if it's a topic that everybody already agrees about, right? It doesn't really cause anybody to do any self evaluation. Maybe, maybe we're going to talk about the what's wrong with the Pope. You know, and 50, we ought 50, to do that. Yeah, but fifty two weeks a year. And, you know, we're, he's teaching the truth. He nailed it on that, but it didn't cause me to uh, look at my life at areas yeah. where I need to improve. Yeah. So preaching ought to uh, bring lost people to a knowledge that, wherein they could be saved. Good preaching ought to edify, strengthen, build up the Christians uh, and, and cause them to grow spiritually. So we need to reach the lost and edify the saved. All right. Nick, any thoughts on that before we take a break? But when we think about, you know, God's grace has brought this salvation to mankind, and Paul says to Titus, you know, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we have to teach people what ungodliness or worldly lust is, and we also have to teach them what to do to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Those yeah. are like categories, we, and there, there's lots of subjects under those areas. But you got to cover it all. you got to get all of it. Exactly right. One thing that's been conveniently left out of this discussion is that good preaching shouldn't be long-winded. And we're long-winded right now. We're overdue for a break. Let's talk about that when we get back. All right. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwen with this week's Bullet Point. Did you ever notice how easy it is for us to see faults in others and at the same time excuse the identical errors in our own lives? For instance, if someone else takes a long time to complete a job, I say he's slow. If I take a long time, I see myself as being thorough. If some other person does not do something, I think he's lazy. If I don't do it, it's because I'm too busy. If another does not extend a courtesy, I conclude that he is thoughtless and rude. If I omit the same deed, it's because it was not brought to my attention. Too often we become professional critics. We can see and point out the slightest flaws in the performance of others while carefully guarding and excusing our own shortcomings. Jesus warned about such hypercritical judgments in Matthew 7, beginning verse 1 and going through verse 5. He said, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. It is important to note that Jesus did not encourage us to ignore the problems that exist in the lives of others. In fact, in John 7, verse 24, he commanded us to, quote, judge righteous judgment. But the obvious point is that we need to correct our own errors before we can be in a position to help others. Perhaps my brother truly is slow, lazy, or thoughtless. When I'm certain that I have control of these same problems in my own life, then I can help him, quote, in the spirit of meekness, Galatians 6, verse 1. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three years old, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com, and you can also find videos at College View Livestream on YouTube. Yeah. The College View live stream, yeah, it's a lot of our studies, which are our Wednesday nights, have been uh, a little bit stalled right now. What, are you on our... strike or something? <laughs> yeah, our streaming guys just won't yeah, do yeah. the job. That's right. He We're wants his out. pay to be doubled. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, we've got our, we've, for the last two Wednesday nights, our auditorium has com- been completely disassembled. Uh, some workers have been in here rebuilding uh, and, uh, and reupholstering our pews, which were sort of falling apart. And they promised me that it's going to be finished tomorrow. Mm. But uh, they've made some other promises they haven't kept, so we'll see if they do that. All right. <laughs> well, maybe they need to hear a sermon while they're working on the pews. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Um, all right, we're talking about good preaching on the program tonight. We're also talking about some bad preaching, too, but uh, what makes good preaching? All right, so what I asked next was to use the Apostle Paul as an example, and what do you see in his preaching that made him a really great preacher? Now, we already commented that Paul, by his own estimation, was not a great orator. You read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul was not, in other words, he did not want them to base their confidence on, hey, I'm I'm a follower of Paul. I love to hear Paul preach. He is just so eloquent. He's he's like a masterful orator. Paul is so wonderful. Paul didn't want them to have that. that, He didn't want them to have that as the basis of their confidence. In fact, in chapter 1, he had rebuked them when some were calling themselves after his name, calling themselves Christians after this manner of Paul. He, he, He did not want that. And so he was not trying to develop a personal following, but his his work, uh, I don't know, uh, is probably a, a fool's errand to try and even identify who is the greatest preacher of all time. But I'd be willing to put my vote in for the Apostle Paul as the greatest preacher who ever preached after our Lord Jesus. I would argue that Paul was the greatest who ever preached. Some of the things that I think made him a great preacher was his attitude toward the work and his attitude toward the message he was proclaiming in Romans chapter one, verse 14. He said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Also, he he felt a sense of duty. He called it a debt. He felt like he had a debt to pay. Uh, and, And so, you know, I think that's sort of interesting terminology that Paul used there. What If you have a debt and you owe somebody money, and if you're the kind of person that you ought to be, you just do everything in your power to get that debt paid on time. And Paul had that sense about the gospel. He felt that he was indebted to preach the gospel. And, and so a, a person who has that kind of drive is going to be a good preacher. Yep, right. Uh, he I, wasn't just doing it for the prestige or the money or the whatever, maybe. He he was doing it out of obligation. Well, we actually know that he had given up a personal fortune and high fame and rank mm-hmm. in order to be a Christian. Uh, he said in Philippians 3, verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And so uh, part of what made Paul a great preacher is that he had that kind of an attitude yeah. uh, in doing the work of yeah. preaching the gospel. All right. Um, we missed the emailers on what makes good preaching being prepared, emphasizing Christ and preaching all the counsel of God, preaching in season and out of season. Second, two verse two, Jim says, and Dwight and Michelle said in Matthew seven verses 24 through 29, Jesus was teaching about the sand and rock foundations. He taught them to act on his words. And with that, the crowds were amazed at what he said. He taught them as one having authority, teaching good preaching, uh, truly good preaching will be preaching about Jesus and being obedient to him. Good preaching will warn us of dangers and warn us of our impending doom if we are disobedient. It will also tell us that the heavenly Father, the heavenly reward awaits us with our obedience. Good preaching will remind us that we need to do and what we need to do and what we, we should not be doing. Good preaching will tell us of the kindness and severity of God. Good preaching will have authority from God's word. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free, John 8, verse 32. Thank you, Dwight yeah. and Michelle, for that. Now, to the question about Paul. Jim in Kentucky says Paul was straightforward. He said a lot of things that would have been probably taboo in pulpits today. Yeah, you didn't have to wonder what he meant when he mm-hmm. spoke. I'm sure that's he true. He emphasized Christ. He sought to inform and edify his hearers. He taught anywhere to anyone. I like that. Yeah, you know, we've. All, I, I think it's always so impressive 
at the end of the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, at verse 22, when Paul's giving his sort of salutations at the end of the letter, he said, "All he, we know that he wrote the book of Philippians while he was under custody in Rome. And he said, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are Caesar's household. <laughs> Here he is a prisoner in Rome, and he's still busy preaching and even converted. I, I, you know, I don't think that necessarily means that he converted some of Caesar's family relatives. Could have been. Probably more than likely, it meant that some of the household servants and others who were in his that attended to Caesar heard the gospel from Paul and, and were converted. Yeah. Uh, reminds us of that preacher that we know of who was stopped by the authorities and he took the opportunity to preach to them. Remember yeah. that that yeah, story? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, uh, Dwight said, uh, St- Dwight and Michelle said, Paul stood firm in the truth. He was not willing to back down from teaching the word of God. He was willing to be imprisoned or even to put to death for his belief in God. He wrote letters to the churches to build them up, knowing of the persecutions they would be encountering. He showed love and concern for the brethren by teaching them what they needed to hear. Paul encouraged and disciplined in his teachings. Thank you, Dwight and Michelle, for that. Uh, and right at the end of the book of Acts, in, uh, in Acts 28, uh, Acts, it is 28 chapters in Acts, and I believe that's right. Yeah, Acts 28, right at the end of Acts 28, the book of Acts ends by saying, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, received all that came to him. Now, he was under house arrest, apparently. But notice he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And so even when he was in Rome under custody, he, he wouldn't back down. And I think that's a really good point that Dwight made. He wouldn't back down. In Acts chapter, or it, Acts 15 describes a situation where Paul and Barnabas and some others went up to Jerusalem to confront the false teachers who were coming out of Jerusalem and teaching false doctrine about Gentiles had to be circumcised specifically. Well, Paul and Barnabas and some others went up to Jerusalem to address that issue. And uh, when some tried to press that point, specifically pressing that point in regards to Titus, a Gentile who was with Paul, and trying to insist that Titus be circumcised, Paul said, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Galatians 2, verse 5. And so I think that's a really important point about Paul's preaching. He, 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 he was going to preach the truth, and he, didn't, he wouldn't back down or back off that for anybody. Now, that was a, very, that was a politically charged incident, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, Paul was taking a stand there. Against uh, some very powerful people. Yeah. yeah. Influential people. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of preachers today who won't take a stand uh, if uh, another a fellow preacher is preaching something that's not true because of politics. Exactly right. Paul was not willing to do that. And I think maybe next yeah. I was going to say there in Acts 17, you know, when he walks into the city and sees all the all the idolatry that is there in Athens, he his spirit is stirred within him. You know, that that's a sign of a good preacher. You know, he's going to be stirred up by the error that he sees, and he's willing exactly. to speak up, and he speaks boldly, and it's right to do that. When he saw that error, yeah. he couldn't rest. He, he, As you said, it stirred him up. All right. And Dwight and Michelle in the chat room, make a comment with no, or make an observation with no comment. I don't know if this is a positive thing or a negative thing about Paul. But well, they, we said we were going to comment about long-winded preachers. Well, he said, they say Paul preached till midnight. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul preached till midnight. I don't, but I don't know when he started, Nick. I don't, he, he may have just started at 1130. I don't know. Yeah. I, I got a confidence it was longer than that. But he was thorough. I think we would say he was thorough. He's going to cover the subject. Not only that, he after after they got through with the service, evidently, you know, they went down and talked till daylight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not that it's wrong to do that. You got people that are new converts. When people are interested in listening, uh, you're willing to sacrifice sleep and other things in order to talk. So, but you know, we think of a long-winded preacher sometimes who's saying, "Well, we're going past the hour," yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and that's an interesting. That, that's a that's a judgment call, I think, and highly opinionated. People have opinions about how long preachers should preach. Uh, I do think 
that people's attention spans in our generation are shorter than they were in times past. I don't know. Utica apparently didn't have a real long one. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's probably some reasons why people have shorter attention. I think we've probably been conditioned by television and other things to get our information in short bursts. Uh, so people, I, I knew a preacher. In fact, he was in his, uh, in his later years was a member here at College View. He's passed on now. He, he preached a lot. He believed if you didn't preach an hour, you didn't do. If you didn't preach for at least an hour, you hadn't done your job. Uh, uh, I, I just think that's probably not real efficient in this day and time. I think people probably tire quicker and have shorter attention spans than they used to have. I do think, and we're going to talk about this when we come back from a break. I do think that the use of visual aids, and we got some really good kinds of visual aids now that they didn't have, preachers before us never had. And the use of visual aids allows us to get to to get more information across in a shorter period of time. I do think that's true. We'll talk about that when we come back. All right. Um, we did will. we read quick? Did we read these? We did. Huh? We read those already. We're ready. We're okay. ready for okay. yeah number four. Okay. Presentation in Maybe. regards to physical presentation of a sermon. What are the things a preacher should do to be more effective, and what are the things he should avoid? Don't go anywhere. Back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century. There it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The vast majority of U.S. adults believe in God, but the 81% who do so is down six percentage points since 2017 and is the lowest in Gallup's polling history. During the period between 1944 and 2011, more than 90% of Americans believed in God. That information is via Gallup.com. The Word of God says in Proverbs 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program. Go to the top of the hour. We're going to go fast and talk about what makes a good presentation. Grant says in the chat room, I know I've listened to some sermons that I didn't want them to end, and the preacher preached well beyond an hour. Well. So, but you know what I would argue? If a preacher can preach an hour and keep the audience's attention, and they're not anxious for it to end, he's done a, he's done a good job. He's probably really doing a good job. Yeah. But if they're ready for it to end after 30 minutes, he probably ought to end it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's, I, I heard a preacher say once, uh, when, you, when you get done, quit. I think that's pretty good advice for a preacher. If you've covered all the information that you have prepared to talk about, yeah. quit. Okay. Yeah, one point is the preacher doesn't have to use every verse of Scripture that could be used on that point yeah. to get his point across. I think that's I think that's really a good observation, Nick. You know, we said he should include lots of Scripture, but that doesn't mean he has to include every Scripture. For instance, I'm preaching, if I'm preaching about baptism, I need to use a lot of scripture about that, but I don't have to use every scripture about baptism. I think that's a good point. All right. Number four. So what are some of the things, just by way of presentation, actual physical presentation of a sermon, what are some things that a preacher ought to do? What should he do to make his message more effective? Now, these these are not, here I'm just talking about the mechanics of preaching. I'm not talking about basing it in scripture and all that that we've already talked about. But uh, I think it's important to use proper speech and grammar oh when boy. preaching. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> that knocks uh, some people out. 
if, if we just slaughter the king's English when we when we are preaching, then that's probably going to detract from the the overall effect of our message. Even if the message is right on point, if if we're not if we're not careful to use good English grammar, and I'm not saying we have to be you know meticulous about that, but there are some things that we ought to avoid. Uh, I could give several illustrations, but I won't. Okay. But, but I think I think just you know try to use proper grammar, and when you're speaking, speak out, speak distinctly. Don't don't mumble. You know, as we get older, our our, our hearing deteriorates, and and especially for the older folks in the audience, we need to speak distinctly, speak clearly, speak up. Uh, you know, it's very common if a, if a young man, for instance, is given his first talk, he just almost whisper into the into the microphone. No, we got to speak up. Part of that is, you know, a young man is maybe frightened or intimidated, but but as your confidence builds, you need to really be able to speak out to, to project your voice, and that's important. That's just. Uh, uh, there's a story about the, the, the Greek orator Sosthenes, who apparently, as a young man, had sort of a speech impediment. And in order to overcome that, he would go to the seashore, place pebbles in his mouth, and then with those pebbles in his mouth, he would work to speak loudly enough to be heard over the crashing waves. And so he understood the idea of projecting his voice and getting it out there, and, and we need to do that. Okay. Grant and Janie say use Bible words for Bible things. Good. Exactly right. And make sure you're using the Bible words accurately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I heard a young man reading the scriptures, and he was reading about the the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, uh, he said the rich man fared scrumptiously every day. (laughs) Well, he probably did fare scrumptiously, but the the word is sumptuously. So we want to use the right words. We want to use them accurately. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see what our emailers say on that. All right. Day. Dwight say, uh, and Michelle say, know his audience. Study and be prepared to teach truth and not opinion. Use examples they understand just as Jesus did with some of his teachings. That's a good point. Now, what about using examples and illustrations? Nick, what about using examples and illustrations? Well, I think examples and illustrations are good, uh, but we need to remember they don't prove anything. Exactly. You have to prove it with a scripture, and but make sure you use an example that is clear. Yeah, yeah, a really good point. All right, Jim in Kentucky says, um, think about the audience. Why do they need the message? Make eye contact. Speak slow enough for the audience to follow. In refer- referencing scriptures, give the audience time to get to the scriptures or else have it on an overhead or PowerPoint so they can see it and read it. Use your Bible. Let people see you using your Bible. Um, Okay, okay, so good 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 points. points. Really good points. Okay. Uh, So, and then the other thing we ask is what should a speaker avoid? Now, again, just talking about the the physical or uh, mechanical presentation of the sermon, it... As a public speaker, you need to avoid saying er, uh, and er, you know, using just using, you're just filling time. You know, maybe you're trying to think what to say next, or maybe you're stalling while you're trying to look something up in the scripture. But it's really good to to work at not using those filler words uh, uh, in, in your speaking. I'll tell you something I think really is important is don't make an apology right when you get up and start preaching. Oh, well, I've been asked to give a lesson tonight. There's sure a lot of people here who could do a lot better than I could do, but I'm going to try to do the best I can. Don't make an apology. You're preaching the Word of God. Don't apologize for it. Preach it. Okay. All right. Um, Jim says, lots of movement from side to side should be avoided. Simply reading from a text without looking at the Bible, telling too many personal stories. Okay. So Jim says to avoid... an extreme amount of motion in the pulpit, which I I would tend to agree with that. Some of it is probably good. I'm not. I don't move at all. I stay in one spot. But I think probably some movement around is is okay and acceptable. Maybe even be helpful. But it can be overdone. There was a young preacher years Here goes ago. Those personal stories. 
He says, telling too many personal stories is, needs to be avoided. I'm going to tell one. I'm just kidding. There was a young preacher years ago, and, and uh, one of the elderly ladies said, I just love to watch him preach, not to hear him preach. She loved to watch him preach. And this guy, would he would be up and down. Sometimes he'd disappear completely behind the pulpit, and then he'd pop up like a jack-in-the-box, and, and it was just too much. I was going to say, I was, I, I was I went to a meeting one time, and, and this brother, what he did, I think, illustrated his point just, just really good. But in the illustration and his excitement, he stepped up on the front pew and had his uh, shoes on on the bench and i remember an elderly lady came out later and says we would have spanked the kids if they'd have got up there like <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so, right. exactly right um dwight and michelle say stay focused staying focused on the subject speaking clearly and loud enough for all to hear not cutting up and telling jokes not talking above your audience using words that are easily understood all right all right very good okay real quickly uh what about visual aids uh, should we, should we, should we not use visual aids? What would be some, some, uh, uh, kind of rules of the road about visual aids? Uh, I, I think visual aids should be used to support the message, not to be the message. The, the, the medium should not become the message, you know, and, and I think that's, that line can be easily crossed with, with new technology. You know, it used to be, they didn't have as much ability, but with, with computer-generated graphics and everything else that we have, we have to be careful not to let the, the medium overpower the message. Well, that's along the lines of what Jim says. He says it really depends on the preacher. Some can use visual aids in a way that are helpful. Others, it just seems, get caught up in the technology and use it to prove they know how. The focus should be on the message and communicating that message so that the hearers can understand and remember. Yeah. Dwight and Michelle say if one uses visual aids, they need to know how to use the aid. PowerPoints are great, a great aid. As long as your slides and presentation go together, make sure that the wording is able to be seen. What doesn't work is when the PowerPoint has the wrong colors with the background, kind of like the meteorologist who wears green. One thing that any visual aid one thing, any visual aid that the preacher uses should be able to help teach and get across the Word of God and not detract with insignificant pictures or anything that distracts. I think those are good observations, Dwight. I think that's exactly right. I, I, I'm very committed to visual aids. I think they really help. I, it's been proven over and over and over again. I mean, technical studies have been done that show that people retain far more of what they hear and see versus if they just hear it. And so... Yeah, visual aids are great. I think they're extremely helpful, but they need to be need to be need to be careful that they don't become that they don't detract from what you're saying. They actually support what you're saying. They're an aid, not a not an end in themselves. All right. Uh, Grant and Janie missed this one. They say a preacher needs to be on time. Hey, I like that, Grant. I think that's exactly right. you know, sometimes sometimes there'll be things that we can't avoid. But if the preacher rushes in at the very last minute, and then he's got to get his PowerPoint uh, up and running, and he's all, all at loose ends, he's distracting the rest of the audience by virtue of the fact that he wasn't on time to be ready to go at the start of service. All right. Any final comments from you tonight, uh, Nick? No, I've enjoyed the study, and it's always good to be reminded, especially when you're standing in the pulpit, what your obligations are, and that is to present the Word of God very clearly and and so people can understand it and uh, have have enough enthusiasm that that you're excited about the message you're giving. Exactly right. Final thoughts from you, Kyle, tonight. Uh, It's a good study. I think... uh... I think as listeners, we need to make sure that we're listening to what the preacher is saying, of course, and just hopefully that the young men, this is a good lesson for a young man, any, any preacher. It's a good lesson. It's a good study. Thanks for helping us get it out on the air tonight, Kyle. And thank you, Nick, for being here. Glad that you joined us tonight. And, Dad, thank you for the hour. Thanks, Jacob. Good discussion. And we're going to follow one other point, and we're going to end on time tonight. That makes a good virtual Bible study, if you ask me. Exactly right. Appreciate you joining us on the other end of the line tonight. Hope you benefit from our study discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.